It's good to be uh, together this morning. For those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Taylor Leachman. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at Christ the King. And um, as uh, Andre said, this is uh, the beginning of Pentecost, which means a couple different things for us. Uh, it means first that when I get home, I have to change the decorations because I've left the Easter decorations up for a long time, justifying my laziness with the uh, church calendar. Um, Pentecost marks the, the official end of Easter. Um, but it also means that this morning we're going to be doing a separate study. We're going to be doing a one-off study uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 um, and, uh, and to be looking at, at that together this morning. But before we do so, um, as I was thinking about what to, what, kind of how to introduce this or even how to talk about uh, this passage this morning, I kept coming back to a horrible movie that I remember as a, as a child. Um, how many of y'all have ever seen the movie Blank Check? Anybody? A couple? Those of you who have, you're kind of doing that because it's a shame-filling movie that you've seen. Uh, no, it's, it's just really not very good. In fact, uh, as I was reminding myself about what was happening in the movie, I saw that it, it got a 9% on the Rotten Tomato meter, uh, which is uh, pretty low. Um, so anyways, for those of y'all who haven't seen it, it's, um, it's the movie of this like 10 to 12-year-old tween-age boy uh, who is... Um, on his bike, somehow he, his bike gets run over by a criminal who's evading the cops, and he's in such a hurry that he writes a check, puts his name on it, and hands it to the kid, but he doesn't know how much uh, to write the check for. So the kid goes home, and he's thinking, well, I could get it to cover my bike, or I could write it for a million dollars, which is what he does. Um, and then he uses that money to buy everything that he can possibly think of. He buys a mansion with a nice pool and a water slide and way more, he buys way more than a million dollars would actually cover. Um, but it, uh, it, it sparked in me as a kid watching the movie this idea of, oh, there's, there's all these limitless opportunities that if I just had a blank check, I could fill it, I could fill my life with all of those same sorts of things that this kid did. And then I started thinking, you know, it's, it's not really just like childhood that we wish we had a blank check for or material items. We kind of wish we had a blank check for all sorts of things, for our time. What if we had unlimited time? What if we had unlimited athletic ability? Right? I'd be dunking on you guys if I did. Right? There was even a bad television show a few years ago about like the idea that maybe we could take a pill that would unlock all of the potential of our brain, the limitless power of our brains. And so in today's culture, we live in this, we, we live in this milieu of, of kind of a life philosophy of pursue, pursue, pursue all of our opportunities. Push the limits of what we can accomplish. Dream about endless opportunities that we seek with, with education or work or material items, right? And, and, and so the culture that we live in can create this sense of shame that we feel as Christians, right? How is everyone else is pursuing all of these endless opportunities? Can we as Christians put limits on our own lives? How can we follow a hero not who tells us to be more and to do more, but who tells us to pick up our cross and to follow him. How can we put our faith in a, limit, in, in a limitless God who willingly limited himself by becoming a man? 
How can we tell others that the savior of the world is somebody who died and died a criminal's death on the cross? Right? In, the, in the face of some of these strange Christian beliefs, we can feel a sense of shame about the gospel. Right? And so what does the Bible have to teach us and to tell us about that sense of shame that we feel? So let's read together now from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. You can turn with me. We'll read together. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. Would y'all pray with me as we consider this together? Our God and Father, we do thank you that you have given us a spirit, the spirit of power, love, and self-control as your word says here. And I pray that your spirit would be with us now and that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to follow you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was reading that passage, y'all probably were thinking, where is he going to go with this? There is a lot there. And you're right. There's too much for me to cover there. So where I want for us to focus is going uh, to be limited by two particular factors. One, if you paid attention in verse 8 and verse 12, kind of right in the middle uh, sections of, of Paul's argument, he's talking about shame. And he's helping Timothy to deal with the sense of shame that he's feeling in what we, can, what we often call now an honor and shame society, right? So it's, it's not the sense of shame that you feel for necessarily doing the bad, the bad thing, but it's, it's the sense of shame that you feel for bringing dishonor um, upon your name or upon your family or those sorts of things for not being all that you can be, so to speak, Right, um, So that's one factor. The second is Paul says something incredibly interesting in verse 7. Right? As we were reading along, he says to Timothy not to have a spirit of fear, but then he says a couple words that are not you know, that out of the ordinary. He says, for we've been given a spirit of power. Okay, he says that a lot in, in his letters. Of love. Okay, he says that a lot too. But then... He busts out self-control, seemingly out of nowhere. Power, love, and self-control. So what is Paul teaching us, right? That, that though we may be called to some of this, uh, that, some, uh, that, that we may feel a sense of shame, and though we may feel a sense of shame by limiting ourselves in this sense of self-control, um, the good news for us is that Jesus and his love 
is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. We're going to be focusing on the limitless opportunities that we seek, then the limiting nature of our shame and our fear, because it is limiting. And then finally, we're going to focus on the limitless love that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Let's first look at the limitless opportunities that we seek. As I was um, thinking a lot about this passage this week, I uh, was talking to some kids uh, about what they believe and whether or not it's they fear telling other people that they're a Christian or talking to other people about their Christian faith. Um, as you know, I am the family pastor. I, I uh, engage in some of those conversations. And of course, you know, the, the kids said, yes, yeah, w- that is something that we fear. I, I remember feeling it when I was a kid. And if, for those of you who are kids in here, it never really goes away. It diminishes a little bit, but it never really goes away. Right? We still fear those things. But then, you know, I was trying to ask them questions like, well, is it because, you know, of the crucifixion and all of those sorts of things, or is it because of the incarnation? And I, I didn't use those words, but it's still pretty rich theological ideas. They turned to me and they said, no, my friends don't care about any of that stuff. They care about iPads. They care about Lamborghinis. They care about sports and what they're doing in school. And I was like, of course, that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what my experience was like in school. And that's what theirs are as well. And then I started thinking, we really never grow out of that. It may still be those exact same material things, but, but that list can kind of go on. They don't care about the crucifixion. We care about our reputation. We care about our work. We care about our family or our relationships, right? Those are the things that we focus so wholeheartedly on. And so in essence, we care about all of these other opportunities that we seek and we look at them with a blank check of sorts, right? And so that is what Paul is writing to Timothy about here. Right, Timothy is one of Paul's protégés, and this letter is meant to be an encouragement that Paul is in prison here, and this is one of the last letters he's going to write before he's ultimately put to death. Right, and so Timothy has been put in charge of caring for a lot of the different house churches that he and Paul started, um, mostly in Ephesus, but also in Corinth and in Philippi as well. And, and so this is meant to be an encouragement to remind Timothy to be strong in the faith, to not be fearful and to not be ashamed, though Paul is in prison, right? And so in some ways, when we read this passage kind of out of context, um, it can begin to sound like, do not be fearful of sharing the gospel, right? Do not be afraid to tell others about Jesus. And so um, there's maybe certain folks that we can start to feel like, well, I need to shout it on Facebook as like loud and as big as possible. I love Jesus and I don't care who knows about it. That's not what Paul is talking about here, right? He's talking about a different sort of fear, a different sort of shame. He's saying, do not be ashamed to be seen as a Christian. Do not be fearful of the cultural shame that comes from identifying with the meek or the downtrodden or that comes from identifying with a savior who has been crucified. As I said, it's not really about being fearful 
of, of telling others about Jesus, but it's also not really about fearing our circumstances or fearing sickness and death, right? This isn't meant to be a proof text that I've seen some people in the last year and a half kind of use for brazenly walking into Costco without a mask on, right? I will not fear anything. That's not what this passage is about either. Paul isn't talking about that. Rather, he's telling us that the gospel of Jesus in the midst of of our culture can feel really foolish. And it can feel foolish. um, It felt foolish in their culture. It feels foolish in ours. Because following Jesus leads to a pretty different looking life. You can be written off for following Jesus. You can be ostracized. And historically, um, many are imprisoned or put to death for following Jesus. That's the type of cultural pressure that Paul is talking about here. He's telling Timothy, don't worry about that. But partly, Timothy also here, he's just worried that he might end up like Paul, right? He's maybe thinking, well, Paul's in prison. He's only brought shame upon his family or on himself. Um, and, And do I really want to be like him? So, as we apply this passage, we need to be careful. We, we live in a vastly different cultural context, right? I doubt, I mean, none of us are really afraid that we're about to be imprisoned for our faith, for being in worship together this morning, or being put to death, right? But that is the context that Paul is writing to in Timothy. But I don't want to diminish that there are, in fact, persecutions that we face. They're just far more subtle, Right? They're, not the, they're not the persecutions of, of imprisonment or death or really even like vast social ostracization. No, it's, 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 the subtle, um, it's the subtle social pressures that come in kind of lost relationships. Right? And all of a sudden you have to become the pursuer in a relationship because people don't really want to hang out with someone who doesn't do X or who does do Y, right? It, it's the shame that we feel for limiting ourselves, right? Why shouldn't I sign up my kids for every single, uh, you know, sports activity, even if it is on Sunday morning, right? If we didn't give money to the church or to other ministries, we'd have a whole lot more to spend on ourselves, and it'd be a lot easier to keep up with the Joneses if I didn't have to give any money away, or if I didn't give any money away. Right? Why shouldn't we just eat, drink, and be merry to kind of our heart's desire, our societal shame comes when we, when we have a little bit less money because we've recognized that as Christians, nothing that we have is actually ours. It's all God's. And so we give it back to him according to his purposes, not to ours. All right, our societal shame comes when our kids stop getting invited to Sunday morning birthday parties because you don't ever go. You come to church instead. Or our societal shame comes when Maybe your non-drinking as a teenager or your moderate drinking as an adult makes you somewhat of a drag at the party, right? At least that's what, what it can feel like or what even uh, some might think. But the limits of following Christ can feel shameful in a world that seeks to live without limits. And it's in the midst of this culture that we find ourselves fearful. We find ourselves afraid like Paul is addressing with Timothy. Which leads to our second point, the limiting nature of our shame and our fear. In the midst of our world where we want to pursue every opportunity, where we live without limits on our time or on our achievements, we're actually killing ourselves. 
Right? Uh, Tim Keller uses this as an illustration that, um, that, that pursuing all sorts of, of, of opportunities and everything without limits is a whole lot like a fish trying to say, I don't want to live in the water anymore. Right? That as we continue to pursue things outside of what we were intended and what we were made for, it actually begins to kill us. It's making us more and more miserable. Cultural author and, and critic uh, Derek Thompson wrote an article uh, about the new religion that's emerging amongst the irreligious here in America. He calls it the religion of workism. And he says this about workism. Workism is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but it's also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work, right? To get better and better, you need to work more and more. Right? How many of us have bought into the lies that that our work should fill us with all purpose and all meaning. That's not to say that, that there isn't purpose that comes with work. God created it for us, but not to fill us with all purpose and all meaning. And he argues that this is, the, the, the gospel of workism is actually, it's the false gospel of, of the wealthy, in America, that for the first time in economic history, the wealthiest are actually those who work the most. Um, and there's a couple different reasons for it. First um, is, uh, is that it's supposed to make us supposedly feel more fulfilled. And so, well, I'm not feeling very fulfilled, so the answer is I'm going to work more. Rather than kind of reaching my, my economic limit um, and, and living a life of leisure like the kings of old, I'm gonna keep working. Or the second reason is that, well, because we're making more and more, we wanna justify why we make more and more. Well, it's, at least it's because I work that hard. Right? So actually the salary drives the work rather than the other way around for the first time in economic history. And we try to mitigate that sense of shame that we have for, for having so much. In some ways, work during the time of COVID has perhaps made life even a little bit more challenging as the line between home and work has been blurred a little bit more, right? As others, our friends, coworkers, neighbors have been laid off and maybe you've retained a job, um, we're working more and more. I wanna justify why I still have a job despite the fact that, you know, I maybe haven't been into the office in a year and I still am working in my jammies, right? I'm gonna work harder and harder to justify why I still have one. Or if that hasn't happened to you in the realm of work, you know, kind of pushing in that end, um, maybe it has with just your kids and all the opportunities that you want for them. I know it has for me. Um, and in fact, between service, I had multiple people come up to me saying the same thing, that because our kids didn't have any opportunities from late spring, kind of through the fall, that this spring, like any activity that they wanted to do, I said yes to, without even thinking about it. It was like dance, basketball, lacrosse, uh, softball, uh, soccer. We were driving everywhere, all over, and I didn't even realize it. I just was saying, yes, go out there. You can do anything that you want. I want you to have everything. Right? That's equally wrong-headed. As we've pursued a limitless life and as it has absolutely crushed us, we lack a genuine rest. 
We've bought into the belief more and more that we can we can do everything. We can have it all. I can work great, have a perfect social life, have everything that I want, um, have all the best children, um, and uh, you know all sorts of things like that. I can do it all. And it burns us out. It burns me out. I've, bur- I've been burned out. For those of y'all who know me well in my own history, I have been burnt out. I have talked to many of you over my time here at Christ the King, and I know it has been the exact same way for you. It's a false gospel. It feels like it's the way to go, but it actually brings death. We're trying to manage our lives, to justify our lives, because, because at the end of the day, we actually don't feel acceptable in this culture. We want to bring ourselves some sense of honor to have something to kind of make our name great amongst those that we feel or that we're around and we feel a sense of shame as a result. And that's exactly what shame is. Shame is not guilt. It's not not the guilt that you've, uh, for, for the transgressions or the wrongs that you have done. Shame is the feeling of unacceptance Sometimes it's, uh, it's illegitimate and sometimes it's legitimate, but it's that feeling of unacceptance that we have. And we try and mitigate our sense of shame in all sorts of different ways. But the last few months, I've actually been really blessed um, by Leslie Peacock. Some of you all know her. She's the head of our counseling center here. And she's been teaching and instructing a lot of the staff and the leadership about kind of what is it going to look like to come out of this COVID crisis, particularly as it relates to mental health and, and, uh, and caring for the people of this church in this city. And she was talking a lot about how kind of during COVID, we didn't really have any existential questions, right? We, we couldn't, we didn't have time to think about, um, you know, what is the meaning of my life or all of those sorts of things or what's happening in my relationships. We're just, we were trying to survive. But over the last few months, as we've shifted into life opening up more and more, we've begun to ask the question, am I loved? does my existence actually matter to anybody? As I've been so disconnected from all sorts of other people, are the people that I was so deeply connected to or that I thought were my friends, are we still friends? Does that relationship matter? Ultimately, when we ask that question, we're wanting to know, am I accepted? And as we, as we try to justify ourselves kind of through, through limitless pursuits, we endlessly are like searching for the pot at the end of the rainbow that we're never going to find. We're never gonna get the answer to the question with our own opportunities and our own limitless pursuits. But there is good news for us. And that is that God deals very directly with our shame. That he crowns us with all honor. That he loves us. That he accepts us through Jesus Christ, and that's what we're gonna talk about. Our third point, the true limitless nature of Jesus' love. As Paul says, we should not be ashamed, right? We should not be ashamed of the gospel, though we may you know, not have all the things that we want in our life, um, though we may suffer at times, and though we may even lose kind of the honor of our reputation, the gospel is not shaming. Paul even goes on to urge Timothy, and and by way of him, he's urging all of us to share in suffering, to share in suffering without shame and without fear. We're to choose the way of Christ, 
We are to pick up our cross and follow him. We're to choose to deny ourselves and to die to ourselves, right? To choose God's reputation and honor and glory rather than our own. Okay, but why? Right? Why should we do this? Paul says that we should do it, right? Because, because as we deny ourselves, then we're earning his favor, right? No, no, that's absolutely not what he says, okay? Just making sure you all are with me. Um, no, that's what we think, though. We think, well, as I deny myself more and more, then that'll make God love me more and more. I'm going to earn his favor that way. No, not according to our works, as Paul says here. As we deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, it is the power of God that is at work, but we do so not to earn his favor. We do so because he is that good. We do so because despite our best efforts, we, we're still overly concerned with our reputation. We're still overly concerned with our own honor and our own glory. But God in his infinite love and his limitless love decided to limit himself by becoming a man, as it says in Philippians 2, and to shower us with all love and affection, despite the fact that we care for ourselves first and foremost. God has honored us with salvation through Jesus, though we have sought to honor only ourselves. He has loved us with a limitless love. And this is why we are actually called here by Paul to share in suffering, not to earn his favor, but in response to his love. Right? We limit ourselves because we know that he has lavished us with every spiritual blessing, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1. So we don't spend rampantly on ourselves, right? Because, because we know that everything we have is ultimately his and, and so we spend according to his purposes or we don't work incessantly because we don't need to justify ourselves any longer. We know that we are fully accepted in his sight or you don't need to manage your reputation consistently because the same God, the God who made middle school cafeterias, uh, you know, the God who's in control of Snapchat and other areas where we're so deeply concerned with how we're seen is the same God who says, I love you. You are my child in Jesus Christ. You don't need to pursue your own honors because the king of the universe is pleased to call you his child and his heir. So how should we respond? How does God's limitless grace call you now to respond to him? Maybe what areas of your life should you give over to him? Right? It may be certain aspects of your work. It may be aspects of your leisure or your play. Um, it may even be like kind of putting to death that daydream that we all have about kind of answering that question of what you did over your summer break and that one-upmanship that usually happens at the beginning of school. Right? We may have to put those daydreams to death as we follow Jesus. But know that as you limit yourself, you don't do so to earn his love. You do so because you already have it. He has said you are a part of my family. Now this is the family business. Live and <clears throat> breathe, so to speak, in these waters as Tim Keller's metaphor works out for us. 
But more than just our own individual limiting, we're actually called to limit ourselves for the sake of one another. As we share in each other's sufferings, we do so because God is making a new creation and a new sort of people. A people who learn to share in suffering because we've received the honor of Jesus Christ. We're to be a people that bless others because we have been blessed in Jesus. And so, very practically, how can you do that better? As as Leslie was pointing out, we are asking the question, am I loved? So, practically this week, pursue somebody. Rather than ask the question for yourself, know that you are loved by Jesus Christ and call a friend, a family member, somebody, ask them to lunch, talk to them on the phone if you can't, and demonstrate to them that they are loved. Be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, showing that love to someone else. And as we become a community that learns to love one another and learns to love our neighbors well, we will be a community that actually does more of what our vision at Christ the King is, which is to reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace. We do so as we put on that spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Let me end with this. So as you guys go back out into the world, I urge you to cast off the spirit of fear, to cast off that spirit of kind of managing your own reputation, to cast off the limitless ways that you're trying to to cover up and that I'm trying to cover up my shame and urge you to put on the limitless love of Christ. You can do so because the limitless love that you have from God is the same power that comes to us in the Holy Spirit as it says in verse six. And as we are celebrating here on Pentecost, because God has given us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Would you please pray with me? Our God and Father, we thank you Lord, we thank you that you have lavished us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, that you honor us though we still honor ourselves. And Father, that you have saved us. You have saved us from ourselves in the, in the ways in which we continually pursue. Um, we pursue work, we pursue play, all of those things in order to distract ourselves from the true source of life, which is you. I pray now, Father, that as we go back out into the world, that we would be filled by your spirit, that we would be a people of love to show and to be the hands and feet of the love of Jesus. I pray all of this in his name by the spirit. Amen.